words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing, O Lord, in your sight. Amen. Do you hear the people sing, singing a song of angry men? It is the music of a people who will not be slaves again. When the beating of your heart echoes the beating of the drums, there is a life about to start when tomorrow comes. Name that tune. What's it from? Les Mis, yes. Based on Victor Hugo's 1862 novel of the same name, arguably one of the best musicals of all time. I find it a bit depressing, but you know, to each their own. I love musicals. Maybe that's part of why Luke's is my favorite of the Gospels. All the characters are out here singing their guts out. Mary sings when she's greeted by her cousin Elizabeth. Zechariah sings when his son is born and his tongue is finally loosed. The angels sing of peace and goodwill when they share their good news of great joy with the shepherds. And Simeon even sings his song of farewell once he has seen God's promises to Israel kept in the Christ child. The alternate title for Luke's gospel should be God, the musical. Why, one might wonder, all these songs? Well, I think it's because singing is an act of resistance. Now, that's not to say that all singing is resistance singing. Sometimes singing is just an act of joy and sometimes an act of camaraderie, but it is also an act of resistance. Enslaved people knew this. When they sang their spirituals, they were both praising God and protesting the masters who locked them out of worship, but couldn't keep them out of the promise of God's deliverance. And the civil rights leaders knew this too, singing songs like, we shall overcome, when so many in the society didn't give them a chance to advance their cause of justice, let alone triumph. In 1989, protesters in Leipzig, I pronounce that right, I hope, uh, knew this as well. While that element sometimes gets overlooked in the histories of the Velvet Revolution, it's striking to note that for several months preceding the fall of the Berlin Wall, the citizens of Leipzig gathered on Monday evenings by candlelight around St. Nikolai Church, the church where Bach composed so many of his cantatas, to sing. And over two months, their numbers grew from a little more than 1,000 people to more than 300,000, over half the citizens of the city, singing songs of hope and protest and justice until their song shook the powers of their nation and changed the world. Later, when someone asked one of the officers of the East German secret police why they did not crush this protest like they had so many others, the officer replied, we had no contingency plan for song. I like that. Last week, I used a snippet of poetry in the sermon uh, by one of my all-time favorite poets, Mary Oliver. It was Rules for Living a Life, if you remember. This week, I want to share with you another one of her pieces. It's a bit longer. Um, it's one I actually went back to frequently uh, during the pandemic. She writes, it's called I Worried. She writes, I worried a lot. 
Will the garden grow? Will the rivers flow in the right direction? Will the earth turn as it was taught? And if not, how shall I correct it? Was I right? Was I wrong? Will I be forgiven? Can I do better? Will I ever be able to sing? Even the sparrows can do it, and I am well hopeless. Is my eyesight fading, or am I just imagining it? Am I going to get rheumatism, lockjaw, dementia? Finally, I saw that worrying had come to nothing and gave it up and took my old body and went out into the morning and sang. Worry has no contingency plan for song. Especially when our songs are whispers of hope. What songs do you sing when you are clinging to hope? One of mine is Be Still and Know, the one from our hymn book. I used to sing it as a lullaby to my kids every night anyway. The third verse says, In thee, O Lord, I put my trust. And I'll sing that over and over again when I need to cling to hope. When have you sung a story of hope? Was it part of a meaningful event, perhaps a funeral? Or a baptism, a birthday party, a protest, a bedtime routine? How did the act of singing change you? Were you singing alone or with others? One of the ways that a weary world can rejoice is by singing stories and songs of hope. This past Tuesday, a hundred of us, this blew our mind, a hundred of us showed up to a park on Kerr Street and sang Christmas carols together. Listen, Connie and I thought we were overdoing it when we printed 50 songbooks. Sharing was caring that night, for sure. A uh, hundred of us showed up. It wasn't just all Knox Oakville people, although we were very well represented. Thank you, Knox. Uh, Christians from a variety of congregations and denominations participated. The vision for this event came from a discussion at the Oakville Ministerial about the increasing polarization in our world and how important it is for the churches in our communities to send a different message, one of active solidarity and collective effort to bring about justice and grace. Earlier this fall, a number of these congregations uh, who have clergy who are part of the Oakville Ministerial were hit with vandalism, right? Um, Anti-LGBTQI um, vandalism, hate crimes. And so we were talking about how do we, how do we band together publicly? Um, so that was part of our discussion. And this is one of the events that came out of it. Our long-term goal in the ministerial is to provide an out-of-the-cold program in Oakville. But in the meantime, nothing is stopping us from gathering together to sing and pray and play. So that's what we did. We got together and sang about the incarnation and the birth of God into the world right in the middle of our town. Sorry, there was no Frosty, Santa, or Rudolph. It was all baby Jesus. As an act of resistance to the narratives that would keep us from each other and to the growing mistrust of the church and the world. United, Anglican, Presbyterian, Catholic, didn't matter. Together we lifted our voices and we sang, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. True, it wasn't a march or a protest, 
Two places I'm familiar with songs and chants being used to unify and embolden a group of people with a message. But it was a demonstration. It was direct action of sorts. An unapologetic collective of followers of Christ singing songs of hope and justice and love into the cold night sky as well as into the ears and hearts of passers-by. We're here and for us, the reason for celebrating this season is that the God who created the cosmos chose to divest themselves of all power in order to enter into the frailty of a human experience. That is good news. The God who is in all and above all chose to take on flesh and bone and move into the neighborhood right next to us. In so doing, the gates between the heavens and the earth have been thrown open. So go tell it on the mountain, indeed. Back to Luke's musical, I mean gospel. I think Mary and Elizabeth knew just how ridiculous their situation was. Two women, one too old to bear a child, one so young that she was not yet married, yet called to bear children of promise through whom God would change the world. And they probably knew how little account the world would pay them, tucked away in the hill country of Judea, far from the courts of power and influence. And they knew how hard life was under Roman oppression. They were well acquainted with that. Yet when faced with the long odds of their situation, they did not retreat, they did not apologize, they did not despair, they did not worry, they sang. They sang of their confidence in the Lord's promise to upend the powers that be, reverse the fortunes of an unjust world, and lift up all those who had been oppressed. When your back is to the wall and all looks grim, one of the most unexpected and powerful things you can do is sing. There's rarely a contingency plan for song. Finally, Mary writes, I saw that worrying had come to nothing and gave it up and took my old body and went out into the morning and sang. Do you hear the people sing? Singing a song of angry men, it's the music of a people who will not be slaves again. When the beating of your heart echoes the beating of the drums, there's a life about to start when tomorrow comes. A song can put into words what we are often incapable of expressing on our own. And there's no better example of this than Mary's song, the Magnificat. Mary's voice echoes through years, a refrain of hope and joy and the coming orienting actions of justice. She voices the hearts and minds of generations of people for whom injustice has long been the norm. Who has a song of Mary in their mouth today? If we listen carefully, where will we hear Mary's song? I often find it a challenge to find Mary's song these days with all the Christmas noise and music of false positivity and holly and jolly. And I put my ear to the ground 
to try and hear who is singing Mary's song. Caught between the false dichotomy of despair and optimism, Mary and Elizabeth remind us that of another way, the way of hope. Hope, you see, implies circumstances that are dark or difficult enough to require us to look beyond ourselves for rescue and relief so that we might hear again and anew God's promise to hold on to us through all that might come and bring us victorious to the other side. I was uh, reading a number of commentaries in one of the preaching uh, places that I follow shared a story about uh, their experience leading worship shortly after the Sandy Hook elementary school shooting. And he writes, I was reminded of the power of song three years ago at this time of year, when a few days after the killings at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newton, Connecticut, Newtown, Connecticut, we happened to sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, in church on Sunday morning. And one of the verses gave such powerful and poignant voice to both the despair and hope so many of us felt. O come thou dayspring, come and cheer, our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadow put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. As tears flowed and voices were lifted in this song that Sunday, I realized that singing of light in a world of darkness is indeed nothing short of an act of resistance. We light Advent candles for the same reason. We light them against the winter light not because of or during, but against, reminding us that the light of Advent, like the light of Christ, is a protest and a resistance of the darkness that gathers all around us. And Mary invites us to do that with song. And so we're going to sing today a lot. You're welcome. We're going to sing a lot as an act of resistance. The world is scary right now. Everything on the news seems bleak. Every song seems sad. But we have the light of Christ. And like the song, this little light of mine, even a little light is all it takes to dispel the darkness. And so we're going to sing a lot today stories of hope for ourselves, our families, our church, our community, and the world. Because that is how a weary world rejoices, and that is how we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. I'll close with our uh, poem from our Advent series. We've been singing a sad song for quite some time, the melody sinking with our heartbeats, the lyrics stamped into the front of our minds. You say, sad songs are honest. It's hard to disagree, for sad songs tap us on the shoulder. Sad songs remind us of the 100 different corners heartbreak could be behind. 
but I don't have it in me to sing a sad song forever. So despite the news, despite the aches in my body, despite the phone call last night that says she's waiting for the test results, despite yesterday's shooting, despite the unknown and unchanged, I am going to sing a song of hope. Like a canary in a snowstorm, I don't need another song of what is. I need a song of what could be. So sing with me. Our voices may get drowned out by the wind, but surely someone will ask, was that a flash of yellow? Was that the sound of hope? To God be all the glory. Amen.